The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in New York, 10 a.m. in Dublin, Ireland. Here is your top five at five. It's a case of the Monday blues, at least for stocks. Futures ticking down as oil creeping higher once again. Bringing it down a notch, Goldman Sachs lowering its outlook for the U.S. economy for the next two years, but with a bit of a caveat. Inflation Nation, by the CEO of one of the world's largest food brands, says you'd better get used to paying higher prices, and our RBI will show you one big reason why. No love at the airport. Southwest Airlines canceling hundreds of flights over the weekend. Part is the running out of people. And boldly going just a little later than scheduled as nature creates a snag for William Shatner's voyage into space. It is all happening on this Monday, October 11th. This is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I'm Brian Sullivan. Happy Monday. Well, it is not maybe the most happy Monday for stocks, at least right now. It is very early. Futures, they are slightly down, down a couple of tenths of 1%. Dow off 65, NASDAQ off 58, nothing to go back to bed over. Again, at least not yet. This after a bit of a tougher session in the week on Friday. All the major averages snapping three-day win streaks. But let us remember, the macro markets did well last week. They ended up, and in fact, the Dow posted its best week since all the way back in June. Not bad. Well, it's been and remains all about oil and gas this year, and energy is still rocking and rolling. Up 5% last week, trying for its fifth straight winning streak in a row, and we are seeing gas and oil prices up again right now. Crude oil is above 81 a barrel. Natural gas, it did snap a six-week win streak, falling fractionally on the week, at least here, but in Europe, the prices are about 500% more than we are paying We'll get more on that throughout the day, I'm sure. And the wild ride for wood may not be over just yet. Lumber futures up more than 6% on Friday, up 15% last week for their strongest week since July. Lumber up 52% in just the past seven weeks. Had a huge spike, then kind of a drop, and now it's on the way up again. And do remember the bond market is closed today. So we'll watch stocks, see if they kind of ratchet back the volatility or the volume because no treasury trading today. All right, let us step outside of the States right now and see what is happening overseas. Juliana Tattlebaum is in our London newsroom with the key trades, key stocks, and whatever else is going on. Juliana, good morning. 
Brian, good morning. So in terms of the early trade here in Europe, the majority of sectors are trading lower. We're starting out the week on the back foot, but there is a a bright spot in the market. The FTSE 100 here in the UK is trading higher, boosted by basic resources stocks. Outside of that, though, we've got red for every major region. The German index down about two-tenths of a percent. The French market down by about 0.16%. And it's red for the Spanish, Italian, and Swiss markets as well. But as you mentioned, Brian, we are coming off of a good week for for European stocks as well as U.S. ones. Energy performed very well last week, financials as well. But this morning, investors pausing for, for breath and no doubt digesting that non-farm payrolls report out on Friday. Turning to the sectors, this is what the picture looks like. We've got uh, the basic resources basket out in front, 2.6% higher. Uh, on the back of that commodity story that you just highlighted, oil and gas up 1.3%. On the downside, travel and leisure underperforming down 1.1%, real estate and utilities. One stock I just want to highlight for you, ASOS, we're seeing a pretty significant sell-off in the fast fashion retailer. The company reported a 36% rise in full-year profit, but they have warned on profits moving forward and the CEO stepping down. This says the company faces higher costs, supply chain disruptions, so those are going to weigh on 2022 numbers. And investors nervous about what they heard down about 8% for ASOS shares this morning. Brian. Yeah, that energy fossil fuel story certainly cannot be overstated. And Juliana, I, I, you're probably waking up when the games end, but I've got some good news. Your Boston Red Sox lead the Tampa Bay Rays two games to one. I hope you get a chance to at least see some of the highlights. Oh, amazing. I'm going to go do that right now, Brian. Thanks for the heads up. Oh, I hope I didn't ruin the score when she records the game. <laughs> if I did, I apologize. Juliana Tatelbaum, thank you very much. <laughs> Yikes. Thanks, Got to give you a heads up on that one. All right, more on the markets and your money in a moment. But right now to some of the key headlines that you need to know about this Monday morning, including a little more pain at the airport for already wary travelers. Bertha Coombs is here. Good morning, Bertha. Your socks as well looking strong. Yeah, Boston strong here this morning. Not so strong if you're flying Southwest Airlines, though, Brian. Southwest says it canceled more than 1,800 flights over the weekend. They blamed a combination of bad weather, air traffic control, and its own staff shortages. In a note to staff yesterday obtained by CNBC, Southwest told employees, quote, although we were staffed for the weekend, we could not anticipate the significant disruption that was created from unexpected air traffic control issues and bad weather across our Florida stations. Other airlines didn't report similar disruptions and do recall that Southwest had big disruptions last summer. Kraft Heinz CEO Miguel Patricio says people will have to get used to higher food prices. Speaking with the BBC, Patricio says his company is boosting prices in several countries, including the United States. And unlike previous years, he says inflation is across the board from cereals to oils. And Taiwan's TSMC and Japan's Sony are reportedly considering building a new chip factory in Japan. According to the Nikkei, the joint venture would receive some financial support from the Japanese government and would produce chips for everything from digital cameras to cars. The plant is scheduled to begin operations by 2024. You know, Brian, you know why cars need so many chips these days? They don't have sight lines anymore. They want you to use cameras and sensors, but you can't see out the back yourself when you're trying to back up. I don't rem- I, I don't know how you live with a backup cam- without a backup camera now. I, I never had one for 30 years, and all of a sudden I can't drive without one. It's pretty amazing. I, we'll get more on that food price inflation I'm still trying story to get used coming to up in the RBI, and it's uh, 
Yeah, it's one reason why, certainly. And, and don't hit a deer, as we've in our families found out, because the cost just of repairs are doing oh. this as well. Bertha, thank you. By the way, it ended up worse for the deer. My apologies to the deer's family. All right, speaking of people spending money on flights and everything else, Goldman Sachs cutting its American economic growth forecast for this year and for next year. In a note to clients last night, Goldman's Jan Hatzi is pinning this year's growth at 5.6%, down from a previous 57 and at next year from 4.4 down to 4. Hatzius says, quote, after updating our estimates of the key growth impulses that drive our consumption forecast, reopening, fiscal stimulus, pent-up savings, and wealth effects, and incorporating a longer-lasting virus drag on virus-sensitive consumer services spending, we now expect a more delayed recovery in consumer spending, end quote, although I would suggest that Hatzius go down to Virginia. Goldman also flagging the global chip shortage as a major hurdle to growth until at least next year. In other words, you can't buy a car if they don't make the car. Joining us now to talk about all this is Digas Wright. He is Decatur Capital CEO and CNBC contributor. And Digas, I said at the top of the show, Goldman cutting its forecast with a caveat. A couple of cap number one, five seven to five six is still a pretty doggone good number. Four percent, it would be a good number in most years next year. I want people to keep that in mind. Number two, they think unemployment is actually kind of come down. And also number three, I mean, let's remember that these are numbers that are contingent on what the American consumer does, which is, let's be honest, really hard to know, especially in various parts of the country. What do you think about that call? Yeah, so I, I agree with you, Sully. Um, it's, it's a difficult call because there's a lot of negative sentiment in this market. You know, I was looking at the, uh, the bull's outlook uh, in Intelligence Investor, and it's about 40%, which is really down to about the April 2020 levels. So there's a lot of negative sentiment in this market, and we're just maybe having a self-fulfilling prophecies as the market's pulling back. Listen, they, they, may, they said virus-related sectors. They may have some insight into where maybe a fall pop of COVID in, in colder parts of the Northeast, uh, like we got last year, right? Kind of that seasonality. I, I know it's kind of a dirty word. But I also have a theory, Degas, and you're down south, and I was just down in Virginia this weekend, and it's no political statement. It's just, uh, I wonder if people that operate primarily in New York don't understand that a huge majority of the country, it's business as usual, life almost as usual, and has been for a long time. I kind of wonder if we get a little myopic living where we live here. Well, I think you're correct, because ultimately what the studies show that in the South, you know, we're outside more now. And so that's going to obviously help us get into this recovery faster. And what's happening up north, as you know, is getting colder now. And so you're going back inside. So that's going to still have an impact on the COVID. And so, you know, we're looking forward to these boosters. We're looking forward to the recovery continuing and not having a negative impact on this recovery. Yeah, unless Goldman's got some insight we don't have, certainly Digas is possible. Let's get now to a pick. Maybe we'll call it an Opportunity Monday, shall we? You like companies, you see the valuation's got to be right. The analysts have got to be sort of maybe a little bit off on their projections. According to you, you got to have solid growth. That points you to a stock like Key Corp. That's not a bank we talk about very much, Digas. Yeah, so we really like Key Corp because ultimately what they're doing is that they have a very 
strategic acquisition plan and that's actually adding to their quality of their loans and also to the deposits and so we really like what they're doing also they have a very strong reinvestment into the community so key corp is one of those stocks that are doing well and analysts really can't figure out what's going on here because they're doing a lot of acquisitions and that's bringing in that quality loan book and also increasing their deposits so we really like this company Key Corp, not a name we talk about. It's had a pretty good year, 40%. You still like the name, Digus, right? Digus, best to you. We'll talk to you again we soon, do. I am sure. Have a great day. Thanks for getting up early for us on a Monday. Thank you. Uh, all right, you're welcome. All right, we are just getting started here on a busy Monday. And when we come back, why a multi-million dollar fine could actually be a big boost for big tech in China. Plus, Why a tax headline from Ireland this weekend may be a much bigger story than it seems. IDA Ireland's Martin Shanahan is here with more in a global TV exclusive. Later on, maybe another ticking time bomb in D.C. as lawmakers choose to kick the can down the road again. This time when it comes to spending, policy analyst Tina Fordham weighs in. Very busy hour still ahead. Dow futures off just a touch. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back. It is time now for your big money movers. The three key stock or stock-related stories happening right now. And the first stock is not a stock at all, but it is a group of stocks. In fact, it is Chinese big cap tech names, to be specific. They surged overnight. This after regulators slapped food delivery giant Metwan with a $534 million fine for abusing its dominant market position. So why is that good news? Because that was less than the market feared as far as a fine goes. In a note to clients, Jeffrey says the fine removes an overhang on the stock. Alibaba up nearly 8%. Look at that. JD.com up 5 Baidu up more than 6 of course, they were closed for much of last week, too, so a little bit of a residual move effect. Stock number two, Hasbro, says its CEO, Brian Goldner, is taking a medical leave of absence effective immediately. The move announced late yesterday follows Goldner's disclosure back in August of last year. He was undergoing cancer treatment since 2014. Goldner, Goldner has served as the CEO of Hasbro since 2008 and serves as its chairman since May of 2015. We certainly wish him and his family all the best and a speedy and safe recovery. Stock number three, Lenovo, seeing its biggest single-day sell-off in more than a decade after it withdrew its application 
for a $1.5 billion new stock listing in Shanghai. Lenovo falling more than 13% in Hong Kong trading. Ouch. All right, up next, a pricey pair of Nikes, new Instagram parental controls, sort of, and woohoo, free breakfast for all you teachers out there. We'll tell you by who. It is your top trending stories. It is ahead. Dow futures down, Bitcoin and oil are up, and we are back right after this. Today's big number, $28.6 billion. That's how much market value was lost in New York City's office sector during fiscal 2022, according to the New York State Comptroller. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back. Well, let's get a check on some of this morning's other key headlines, including the return of one major sporting event after a year off. NBC's Francis Rivera in New York now with that and more. Good morning, Francis. Brian, good morning to you. A 20-year-old woman was killed after multiple suspects opened fire at a crowded bar in St. Paul, Minnesota. 14 others were shot and hospitalized for injuries but are expected to survive. Police have arrested three men who are currently being held in the hospital due to injuries related to the incident. They will be booked in jail and await a decision on charges. According to police, a motive has not been determined. A Maryland couple is in custody this morning accused of selling nuclear secrets. According to a criminal complaint, Navy nuclear engineer Jonathan Toby and his wife Diana sold restricted information about the design of nuclear-powered submarines. Toby allegedly placed the data in SD cards and hid them in peanut butter sandwiches which he later left at drop points. According to the Department of Justice, he tried to sell the information to a person he believed was working for a foreign power, but they were actually an undercover FBI agent. Neighbors said FBI agents searched the couple's home and cars on Saturday. They are both expected to appear in federal court tomorrow. After 30 months, the Boston Marathon returns today for the first time since the coronavirus outbreak. It is the 125th edition of the world's longest-running long run. The first race kicks off at 8.02 Eastern Time, so a time to enjoy, especially in Boston, Brian. But you're not going to wait too much longer for the next minute because Boston Marathons are usually in April. So the 2022 one is set, again, just a few months away from now. Yeah, we've got the New York one coming up as well. I know these people, mm-hmm. you know, they literally run their, you know, what's off in training. So I'm glad they're getting to run. It's fantastic news. Francis, thank you for bringing it to us. Appreciate mm-hmm. it. All right. Boldly going a bit behind schedule. A space flight, 55 years in the making, still on, but a little bit later this week. And speaking of just absolutely incredible technological achievements, Follow our podcast called Worldwide Exchange. We're back after this.
Will it be another manic Monday? Maybe. Futures, they are down, but oil and crypto are up again. And the word of the day may be inflation. Janet Yellen yelling from the rooftops once again about why the economy is doomed if Congress does not get a debt ceiling deal done. Is she right? And it's the new digital gold rush. Estates tripping over themselves to bring in Bitcoin miners. We've got new data revealing where they are setting up shop. And the results, they may surprise you. It is Monday, October 11th. And this is Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome or welcome back, everybody, and good Monday morning. It is 525 on the East Coast. Hope you have a great weekend. Thanks for getting up early and joining us. Here's how your money and investments look as we are about just about halfway through the 5 a.m. hour on the East Coast. Stock futures, they are a little bit lower, not too much. We are seeing Dow futures off 46, a couple of tenths, NASDAQ down 55. Could be a, a relatively muted day of trading. Remember, the bond market is closed for the holiday, so we are seeing no bonds. That's tend to reduce the volume and the volatility of stock trading as well. Nothing seems to reduce the upward volatility of oil and gas lately. Oil up once again, topping 81 a barrel. Look at that at 81.3384 in Britain. Natural gas prices, they continue to rise in Europe as well. We'll get more on that in a minute. Bitcoin also keeps popping. It is above 56,000. That is the highest since May. Keep in mind, Bitcoin was under 30,000 just in the middle of July. So it has had a huge run up. Ether and Litecoin are up as well as well. The cryptos, they have really taken off in the last couple of weeks. All right, now to get some of this morning's other top headlines as well. China calling on the U.S. to scrap tariffs amid talks between the two superpowers. U.S. Trade Rep Catherine Tai and China's Vice Premier Liu He holding a virtual summit on the matter. That meeting comes after Tai's comments last week that the U.S. would hold China to its commitments under a phase one trade deal negotiated by the Trump administration. Both sides saying they will continue to hold talks in trying to find a solution on the matter. Apple filing an appeal in its case with Epic Games. Apple won the case, but it did lose one important claim by Epic that Apple violated California's anti-steering rules. Epic demanded that Apple let developers link to outside payment systems instead of just using their own, potentially letting them bypass the App Store's fees of anywhere from 15 to 30%. If Apple does win that stay, which will be decided sometime in November, the rule may not take effect until appeals in the case have finished, and that could take years. The lawyers always win. And a battle is taking shape over Bitcoin. Estates try to attract miners to set up shop within their borders. New data from Foundry USA, which is the biggest mining pool in North America, shows that many of the crypto's miners are largely found in four states. Nearly 20% of Bitcoin's hash rate, which is the collective computing power of the miners, is in New York. Pretty surprising there. Kentucky, 17% and, or 19%. 17% can be found in Georgia and 14% can be found in Texas should be noted that Foundry's data does not account for all American mining, since not all mining farms enlist the services of that pool. Still, if you are a Bitcoin miner, what you want is cheap and reliable electricity. Period. End of story. Hard stop. A little bit surprised to see New York on that list. 
All right. Meantime, there's a lot to discuss out of D.C. and the Democrats' next moves on trillions in government spending and trying to solidify the president's economic agenda. It may be a lot easier said than done as internal battles within the party continue to threaten to derail that push. Meantime, the House is back in D.C. to pass the temporary debt ceiling deal after it cleared the Senate last week. While the fight on the matter has been pushed to December, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen once again sounding the alarm on the fallout if a longer-term deal cannot get done. There's an enormous amount at stake. A failure to raise the debt ceiling would probably cause a recession and could even result in a financial crisis. It would be a catastrophe. Very strong words out of the Treasury Secretary and the drama out of Washington getting the Barron's treatment over the weekend. If you didn't see it, there is their cover proclaiming that all eyes are on D.C. and stressing that investors can no longer ignore what is happening out of Washington, that it will influence the economy and the markets as well. That's why I've called it the capital of capital. It's not Wall Street anymore, folks. It's D.C., the biggest company in the world. Let us bring in Tina Fordham, partner and global head of political strategy at Avonhurst and a former chief political analyst at City, Tina, it's uh, really good to have you on. It's an important day to have you on as well. I mean, Janet Yellen is pretty moderated and muted normally in her words. When I hear her use words like catastrophe and recession or worse, uh, I mean, I understand she's sort of on the on the PR circuit right now. Is she right? Is she right that it would be a catastrophe? Of, of course she is. But I mean, I think that we can we can point out that investors have really become inured to uh, Washington political shenanigans. Everyone that I talk to, I'm based in London, but talk to a wide range of global investors, thinks that this will be resolved at the last second. And, you know, history kind of proves them right. But I think that there is a real consequence to, you know, sailing this close to the wind when it comes to uh, the last minute deals. And that is that the absence of market volatility in response to these kinds of political shenanigans really deprives us um, of, uh, of an important weapon to get policymakers to do the right thing. So not caring, um, investors not caring is a risk in itself. Yeah, no, I don't think, I, I mean, I haven't read anything, maybe you have, Tina, that anybody believes that we're not going to raise the debt ceiling longer term, right? I mean, or could it? I mean, I guess with D.C. nowadays, anything's possible. Uh, you know, what, what I observe is there are more people talking about how the increased polarization um, could lead to a policy accident. And and that is is absolutely true. What I would say is in the short term, I'm optimistic that we'll get uh, we'll, we'll we'll get a deal. We know what's going on here with the political calculus ahead of the infrastructure bill. Um, Republicans wanting to ensure that they don't hand Democrats a victory as we as we head into midterms. Everybody understands that. What I think is less appreciated, perhaps outside of Wall Street um, and the White House, is how U.S. credibility is really diminishing over the years. And and this, you know, kind of mystifying willingness to take big risks is is undermining it further. Yeah, and we've got the fight inside the Democratic Party as well. And I think any rational American might agree that there are probably four, if not five, actual political parties outside of sort of the two brands that we always talk about, Republican and Democrat. 
The Democrats seem so far apart. I mean, honestly, you've got the Bernie Sanders sort of wing over here. You've got the more moderates and, of course, Manchin and Cinema in the Senate. Ultimately, Tina, look into your D.C. crystal ball, or maybe I should say crystal city crystal ball, right, right outside <laughs> the Beltway. What exactly do you think is going to happen? Well, we've already got the short-term agreement. Um, I think that we will get an infrastructure bill passed with a smaller number. Uh, you know, this is this is just kind of finding the space between these positions. Uh, and then Biden will actually have presided over a pretty transformational policy victory for, for Democrats. More generally, we are heading toward higher public debt levels, regardless of whether the left or the right are in charge. And this is one of the consequences of the pandemic that we've been talking about for a long time. I think the other point is that, you know, other countries don't have this debt ceiling uh, issue. And I always like to remind people that during Ronald Reagan's presidency, the debt ceiling was raised, I think, 17 times without incident. So this is a self-inflicted yeah. wound. Um, so I probably fall somewhere between investors who say, it doesn't matter, I'll get fixed. And you know, Secretary Yellen, whose job is to say that the, the sky will fall, you know, literally, if we don't raise the debt ceiling. But I am more worried about U.S. political risks um, uh, than I have been for some time. Yeah, <clears throat> I agree, because I, I'll tell you what, Tina, we, we know that that inflation is bad. Inflation is coming. Inflation is already here, by the way. We're starting to hear the word stagflation start to pop up in some of the reports that we're reading. Debt continues to rise. And, and I'm going to eat. Let's be fair to all of our political leaders in both parties. I'm talking about the the McConnells, the Bidens, the Schumers, the Pelosi's, uh, even the Mansions. Both parties, they're they're up there in age. I mean, this debt load is not going to be put on them. And I just want to say it like that from both parties that they're not going to be there to pay the bill. That bill's going to be passed on. You know, higher interest rates with higher debt levels. I just wonder if those if those things occur. What's going to happen to the American economy for the next 10 and 15 years when 150 millennials and Gen Zers are coming into prime working age? Or is this going to be low rates forever? Yeah, rates may tick up a little bit. I don't see how interest rates move higher than two and a half to three percent for the next 30 years. I don't see how they can, given that increased debt load, if we get it. Well, you're right. I mean, um, when I talk to, you know, to sort of the chief investment officers, chief execs who who remember the 70s, um, we were tiny, of course. Uh, it, it, you know, we're not going back to the bad old days. Policymakers have better instruments. We know how to do things better. But inflation is is looking a bit stickier with um, the energy price driver. Uh, our children uh, will be working a long time. We will be working a long time. This, to me, is part of a kind of a natural evolution from the, the post-war era. And I, I see it as a, as a kind of a G7 developed markets phenomenon. Um, so I suppose I'm, I'm less worried about that. U.S. growth is still very strong. Unemployment is coming down. I think, you know, I never used to try to talk about interest rates. We have we have whole, you know, cadres of people whose job it is to think about what the Fed's going to do. But increasingly... I think the, the politics of, of, of rates, um, of central bank action, make it easier to predict. Um, somebody said that geopolitics has trumped economics. I mean, that, of course, is very close to my heart. But it'll be hard to raise rates going into an election. In fact, historically, it rarely happens. Um, we're, we're not going back to the days you know, when my, my dad was paying a, a 17% interest um, on, on the house. 
Uh, it does mean that there will be other can't. consequences. Yep. I was just saying you can't do it with, with, with debt like that in the United States, the, the debt we've already got, maybe it. the so, added debt. You know, lower for longer, but not zero. Yeah, not zero, but lower forever, I think, more likely. What are you going to do, crush the American consumer, saddle with credit card debt, mortgage debt, car debt, student loan debt, government debt? I just don't see how interest rates can ever go up. Tina Fordham, Avon Hurst, great to have you on. Let's get you back on all the time because this is a big topic we got to talk about, Tina. Thanks for getting up early for us. All right, coming up, why a headline out of Ireland on Friday could have a big impact on big U.S. tech. A global exclusive interview with IDA Ireland's Mark Shanahan on their new tax rate. But as we head to break, some of your other key headlines on this Monday. William Shatner's much-anticipated trip to the edge of space on board a Blue Origin vessel has been delayed a bit due to high winds in Texas. The launch originally set for tomorrow morning will now take place on Wednesday. China dropping another hammer on Bitcoin, proposing adding crypto mining to a list of industries where investments are either restricted or banned. The draft of the so-called negative list, sounds ominous, comes after regulators there banned crypto trading and mining earlier this year. And Bond making a bang at the box office as No Time to Die pulls in 56 million bucks during its debut over the weekend. That marks the fourth best debut of any James Bond movie, helping it take the top spot worldwide. And Worldwide Exchange is back in a moment. All right, welcome back. We'll call this the tax shot heard around the world. Ireland on Friday making the shock announcement that its corporate tax rate would be raised goes from 12.5 to 15%. It is joining a more than 130 nation push for a 15% global corporate tax minimum rate. Now, Ireland had originally objected to the deal, and it is the low tax European headquarters for dozens of multi billion or trillion dollar companies Apple, Facebook, Alphabet, IBM, Oracle, Amazon, and many more all have headquarters. In Dublin, the country's finance ministry estimates it could lose up to $2.3 billion in revenue as a result of the changes. But keep in mind, this is not the first time Ireland has raised its corporate tax rate and maintains it will still be competitive in attracting new FDI, foreign direct investment. Joining us now in a CBC exclusive is Martin Shanahan. He is CEO of Ireland's Industrial Development Agency. And I know somebody who got on a plane and you are in New York right now, ostensibly, Martin to meet with corporations, to meet with companies and CEOs about what this change means. First off, uh, tell us why Ireland sort of changed its mind and agreed to the deal, and also what you are going to be telling these companies in America about why they should still remain in Ireland. Good morning, Brian. Uh, Good to be with you. yeah, the reason uh, that um, we have opted into the agreement is that we feel it's important that we participate. Uh, Ireland uh, has long believed that uh, it's important that we have a tax framework which uh, addresses the new challenges of digitalization and aggressive uh, tax planning. Obviously, we had some reservations about this deal at an earlier stage. We sought some uh, assurances and changes, particularly that the rate would be at 15%. At that rate, we believe that Ireland remains uh, attractive. And it also provides uh, stability now for investors, the fact that the rate is set at 15%. 
don't think this is going to have come as a huge surprise to the investors that we already have in Ireland. This was well flagged. Ireland has uh, participated in the uh, discussions. And we had said once we received uh, certain um, uh, assurances around the uh, 15% that we would uh, participate. So the discussions I'll have this week uh, in the U.S. with uh, client companies will be about all of the things that we normally discuss with the client companies about the operating environment in Ireland, the availability of talent, uh, our continued pro-enterprise policies and support for those companies in Ireland. And I believe that Ireland is going to continue to win investment uh, from right across the globe. Do you feel like the fact that these companies, you know, Apple, Facebook, we named a ton of them. I mean, we're talking to a couple of trillion dollars in global market cap. Do you feel like they are ingrained enough in Dublin, in Ireland, with the workforce, the Irish tiger, so to speak, that you can keep them there despite the fact that the playing field is now a little more level from that tax perspective, Mark? Yeah, uh, undoubtedly. I mean, we are, you know, engaged with about 1,600 international uh, companies. Um, they, many of them, many of the U.S. companies have been there for uh, over uh, two decades, many of them a lot uh, longer. They've um, weathered all sorts of storms, uh, uh, global storms in Ireland, whether it's the global financial crisis, Brexit, the recent pandemic. And they've done very well in Ireland. And Ireland has supported uh, those companies uh, through all of those things. And I don't believe that their view of Ireland is going to change because of this uh, increase in our corporate uh, tax rate. Ireland fundamentally is a good place to do business. The number one discussion that we have with U.S. companies is around the availability of talent, the ability to set up and scale up your yep. business uh, quickly, the ability to operate. And you can operate out of Ireland uh, serving a European market, which most of the companies are there to do, or an EMEA market, or indeed rest of the world outside North America. And that hasn't changed. That's going to continue to be the case. You know, we always talk about, quote, corporate taxes, Martin. There are many smart people that would argue that there's no such thing as corporate taxes. Corporations don't pay taxes. They just simply lower wages, don't give raises or raise prices on the consumers. They're not going to eat it. They're going to make their employees and their people eat it. Do you worry that even just a 2.5% raise, I mean, we're talking about companies with some of the biggest revenues in the world, that that 2.5% increase in taxes uh, could trickle down a bit negatively to, to the worker, the people you were just talking about in Dublin? Uh, I think, uh, Brian, you know, um, we, we need to see uh, economic growth. We, it is those companies that drive economic uh, growth. Those uh, companies have uh, unequivocally been positive for Ireland. Um, we started attracting foreign direct investment in the 1950s. It has utterly transformed Ireland as a place and uh, it, positively. Uh, we've seen significant economic growth, even in the midst of uh, the pandemic. It is those exporting sectors, technology, medical devices, pharmaceuticals, international financial services that grew the economy. They're providing uh, uh, jobs, really good high value jobs. Uh, and the companies that I engage with, uh, their concern all along through this process is around certainty. Uh, you know, they understand that it is countries that set tax rates. Uh, they will abide by whatever tax rates are set. The fact that we're now doing this on a global basis uh, provides a mm -hmm. framework within which to work. And uh, I believe that is positive for everyone. Making the rounds in New York City, Martin Shanahan coming over from Ireland over the weekend. Certainly a big tax move there. Thinking about Ireland as well. Martin, appreciate getting up early and coming on. Probably jet lagged, but we do appreciate it. It's an important story globally and for Ireland. 
Have a great day. Thanks, babe. All right, you're very welcome. All right, on deck, your morning RBI and maybe the hidden story in the growing global energy crisis that could hit everything from corns to cows. And it's Hispanic Heritage Month. And all month long, we are spotlighting business leaders as well as our own anchors, reporters, contributors, friends, colleagues. Here's Nuveen CEO, Jose Manaya. We empower our Latinx community with the hope and the promise of the American dream. My parents came here looking for that American dream and they found it in making a better home and giving me the opportunities for a better life. We also empower the community by giving them a path to citizenship, which gives them a voice and a vote to influence our society. All right, welcome or welcome back. Let's get a quick check on some of this morning's top trending stories. I'm going to do it and then toss to myself. Instagram says we'll introduce a new feature to, quote, nudge teens away from harmful content on the platform. This company is the controversy around the company's impact on teens' mental health continues. So it seems like basically Facebook and Instagram are admitting there is harmful content on the platform to be nudged away from. McDonald's will be giving free breakfast thank you meals to teachers and school staff this week. All right. Fast food chain is also starting a campaign on social media to help surprise teachers with breakfast delivery at their school. And a pair of Nike Airship sneakers worn by Michael Jordan could be the most valuable shoes ever auctioned. They were Jordan's first pair of sneakers ever worn as a pro. Look at that. They're expected to go between one and one and a half million bucks. Well, today's RBI is about manure. Well, not really, but it is about modern-day manure in some ways. Fertilizers, something I'm not sure we have ever talked about before last week, but now we have to talk about it. It is one of the biggest parts of the global energy story that you may not be thinking about. Most people wouldn't know that chemical fertilizers are in part made up of ammonia. Natural gas, critical in the production of ammonias. I only know this because in a previous life, I used to trade chemical fertilizers, believe it or not. Also random but interesting, I guess. Anyway... So as the price of natural gas, especially in Europe, has soared, so is the input cost for fertilizers. So much so that some European companies like BASF are suspending their ammonia production. Why do you care? That is sending the cost of fertilizers higher than a corn stalk in August. According to Green Markets, our North America Fertilizer Index has just hit an all-time high at nearly $1,000 per short ton. That surpasses the previous high back in 2008. And for comparison... Fertilizer was just over $300 two years ago. In other words, fertilizer prices have nearly tripled in 24 months, most of that in the last few months. And you may be thinking, I'm not a farmer. Why do I care? Well, the last time we checked, you probably buy stuff grown by farmers. Oh, it's also a huge input cost for things like feedstocks for cattle and pigs, which means if farmers and meat producers have to pay more, you're going to have to pay more because those costs will largely be passed on. So if you thought inflation was bad now, just wait until food prices start to spike, because there's almost no way they can't. Put another way, maybe stock up that freezer now. And oh, this could be very good news for fertilizer producers like CF Industries, Mosaic, and others as their prices rise. Maybe a few things to chew on. Random, but interesting. All right, as usual, we have hit a lot this hour, so let's now tie it all together with a bow and talk more about inflation and taxes and maybe big tech. Greg Branch 
is a managing partner at Veritas Financial Group, also a CNBC contributor as well. Greg, I mean, I don't know if we can make too much of this inflation story. It's only gas, food, housing costs, health care, (laughs) travel. I mean, when when does it hit stocks? Right. You know, as you intimated, we haven't made enough of it. Uh, you've talked about one area in which the inflationary pressures are metastasizing. The others I'd have you look at are metal, cement. Uh, energy is a uh, primary component in the production of those. And uh, like you said, in Europe, we are facing the shutdown of some of those plants where production is now not economically viable. And so that will decrease supply of raw materials that are sorely needed. It will certainly increase the price. And so I am looking for 6% CPI plus this year. I am looking for 5% PCE plus this mm. year. That is not priced in. Every single factor that led to that sell-off last week, a week ago today, is only going to get more acute, is only going to become an increasing headwind. And I think we're going to start hearing that on these third quarter calls as uh, the companies talk about margin, margin degradation, as they complain about raw material component availability and pricing, as they talk about continued wage, uh, wage pressures uh, to the upside, um, and as they, continue, they talk about energy prices. Uh, so I think we're nowhere out of the woods yet, yeah. and it has me very cautious about what sectors I, I have exposure to. Yeah, and let's, so let's tie that all together back to the markets, right? Because I know it's, you know, listen, so input costs go up. Then consumer prices, to your point, the CPI, consumer price index, it goes up. There's two options. Companies can either pass along most or all those price increases to you and I, right? So our purchasing power goes down. Or they probably do something in the middle, right? They raise prices a little bit, but then they also have to eat that, which means if they don't cut costs, maybe people, their margins are going to go down and their stock prices may go down. How does this ultimately play out in the equity markets, Greg? Right. And I think you've intimated at it, at it here a bit. What you want to be looking for right now are sectors that do have the ability to either pass costs on or have insulated themselves with long term contracts or aren't as uh, aren't as acutely exposed to some of those pressures. And so the financial services industry, for example, although we'll be we'll be looking for some loan growth, uh, which will probably be in short supply uh, when big banks report this week. But as we've seen over the last 12 months, those large integrated banks have been making a killing in capital markets, have been making a killing in investment banking. We expect that to continue, even if the net interest margin environment uh, is probably at an inflection point, but may plateau here for a quarter or two. Some of those energy companies we talked about have the ability to pass on that pricing. So we'll see some margin integrity there, uh, particularly as a production response or supply response hasn't been as immediate yep. or sizable as we've seen in the past. And so the key is to look for those sectors where they are somewhat insulated or certainly not as exposed or have the ability to pass that pricing on to consumers. Financials, banks, and, and oil. Greg, it feels like an episode of Dallas circle, circa 1982, doesn't it? <laughs> the the finicky trade as well, Greg. That's it. Greg Branch, appreciate you getting up early for us as well. An important story there, which we are, by the way, trying to make more of. Greg, take care. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I don't think, folks, we can make too big of a deal about the globing shipping crisis, semiconductors, oil and gas prices, food prices. It's a huge story, and it's not going away. We're going away. 
at least until tomorrow. We'll see you then. Squawk and the gang picking up the coverage next. Have a great Monday. See you Tuesday. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.